Amen. I'll invite you to turn your Bibles to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4, I'm going to start in verse 1. Speaking of Jesus, it says, And he began again to teach by the seaside. And there was gathered unto him a great multitude, so that he entered into a ship and sat in the sea. And the whole multitude was by the sea on the land. And he taught them many things by parables. Notice this phrase. And said unto them in his doctrine. And said unto them in his doctrine. Folks, we don't recognize this so much because we look at other things and we generally look at spectacular things rather than mundane uh, or, or more mundane things. But the Bible tells more about Jesus' teaching ministry than it does any other thing that he did. In fact, some of the occasions where Jesus had the greatest number of healings in the multitudes where he healed them all and things like that came on the heels of extended periods of time where he taught. Jesus put nothing above the reality of the Word of God. The Word of God was the foundation for Jesus' life. It should be the foundation for ours. So he taught them many things by parables, it says again in verse 2, and said unto them in his doctrine, Hearken, behold, there went out a sower to sow. And it came to pass as he sowed, some fell by the wayside. He's talking about the seed that's being sown. Some fell by the wayside. And the fowls of the air came and devoured it up. And some fell on stony ground. Again, this is the seed that he's sowing. Some fell on stony ground where it had not much earth. And immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, it was scorched. And because it had no root, it withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no fruit. And the other, here's the same seed, and the other seed fell on good ground and did yield fruit that sprang up and increased and brought forth some thirty and some sixty and some a hundred. And he said unto them, He that has ears to hear, let him hear. Verse 10, And when he was alone, they that were about him with the twelve asked him of the parable. And he said unto them, Unto you it is given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. But unto them that are without, all these things are done in parables. Now, folks, I want you to understand something. Where Jesus concluded the teaching of the parable of the sower, uh, sowing in a different ground, Jesus said, he that has ears to hear, let him hear. That triggered something with the disciples. It must have. It triggered the reality, the understanding on their part, that they're going to have to dig a little deeper if they're going to find the reality of this parable. Jesus taught in parables. He was asked one time by his disciples, why do you teach in parables like you do? And he said, so that those, this is my paraphrase, but the, uh, the end result of what he responded is, so that those that are hearing must dig or research or seek out the meaning of these things. Apparently God, apparently Jesus, didn't want people to be able to get a hold of these truths so easily, but rather he wanted them to commit themselves to the word in order to understand. The Bible says in the book of Proverbs that part of the reason that Proverbs was written is so that we, those who place a priority on the Word of God, those who pray, those who seek God through His Word, so that we could understand the hidden meaning behind the things of God, the Word of God. The hidden meaning. That's what these guys are now asking about. They want to know What's the hidden meaning behind this? 
And Jesus said unto them, again, verse 11, Then he said unto them, Unto you it is given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. This word mystery is the word secret. Now I want you to realize what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, and remember this is the teaching he did as a part of his doctrine. Jesus is saying, this is the secret to the kingdom of God. Everything about the kingdom of God works based on the principles contained in this parable. There's not one part of the kingdom of God that does not work according to the things, the principles, the things that he taught them and teaches us as well concerning this parable. Everything works on this. Every part of the kingdom of God works on this. Every part. So then he began to explain to them. Unto you it is given to know this mystery or the secret of the kingdom of God, but unto them that are without, all of these things are done in parables, that seeing they may see and not perceive, and hearing they may hear and not understand, lest at any time they should be converted and their sins should be forgiven them. Now that's hard for some people to, to take. It's hard for them to accept that this is the way that Jesus operated. But Jesus did not want the religious leaders to know and understand how the kingdom of God worked. He wanted everybody that committed themselves to him and became a follower and believed in his words and believed in who he was. He wanted all of those people to understand the truth of the kingdom of God, but not the people on the outside. God's very protective about himself and his family. He's looking for us to make a commitment to him because he's already made them first move toward us. He's already given Jesus. He gave the best that he could. And the work of Jesus is an eternal work that applies and brings blessing to every area of life. But from what Jesus said, he didn't want it to just be like nuggets on the ground that somebody could pick up. If you're going to get to the real mother load, you're going to have to dig. That's contrary to what some people think the nature of God is. But you judge for yourself what Jesus is saying. And then he said, verse 13, Know ye not this parable? And how then will you know all parables? So this parable is not only the secret to how the kingdom of God works. It's also the baseline whereby you can understand any and every parable that Jesus taught. This must be pretty important. Understanding the principles of this parable of the sower must be pretty important and may be the most important thing that Jesus taught. So again he said unto them, verse 13, Know ye not this parable? And how then will you know all parables? The sower sows the word. Now folks, I want you to realize something. The word of God is the thing that created the universe. Everything that we see and feel and, and experience in this physical realm was created by invisible things called words. Now just because they're invisible doesn't mean they don't carry power. Because clearly those words had the power to bring the universe into existence. Well then can we say that all of God's word must contain power too? Paul said so. Romans 1.16, Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. That gospel of Christ is found in the word, folks. He said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, or the word of God concerning Jesus. For it is the power of God unto salvation. Well, what's salvation? 
Salvation is an all-inclusive term, all-inclusive word that means anything and everything Jesus purchased for us. It means to rescue, to deliver, to make safe, to make sound, and to heal. Paul said that it contained the power of God for anything and everything that Jesus provided for us through his crucifixion, his death, burial, and resurrection. Now, folks, everything that Jesus has done for us makes up the kingdom of God for us today. So, again, same thing. If you understand these truths, if you understand the potential of the word of God and sow it in the right manner and take care of it after it's sown and planted, then all the blessings of God are yours. The sower sows the word. Notice it was not the power of the word itself that produced results. One of the things that Jesus said to the, the Pharisees when they came to him, he talked about how they made the word of God of none effect to their traditions. The word tradition that's used there means preconceived notions or ideas, reasonings. Now, folks, if the Word of God created the universe, it has to be more powerful than anything in the universe itself. God couldn't make something more powerful in this universe than the words that created it, since that's the way that it came about. So the Word of God is the most powerful force in the universe. But it didn't produce, ground, didn't produce fruit in all of these types of ground. So just as Jesus is saying to the Pharisees that they're nullifying or robbing of power, stripping of power, the word of God that is all-powerful, their wrong thinking kept it from producing any results, any display of power in any way whatsoever. So when Jesus says the sower sows the word, the seed is just the same no matter where it falls. The seed that fell by the wayside is just the same seed as what produced in the good ground. The problem is not the seed. The issue is what do the types of ground, how the types of ground are affected or unaffected by the seed that's sown. The sower sows the word and these are they by the wayside where the word is sown. But when they have heard, so the ground must be people. When they have heard, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. So the ground is the heart, the inner man, the real part of mankind, what Peter called the hidden man of the heart, what Paul called the inward man versus the outward man. The ground is you and me. The ground is the human heart or the human spirit. So these are they by the wayside where the word is sown. But when they have heard, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. Now, folks, they could have planted it. They could have listened. And remember what Jesus said when he finished telling the parable to the multitude. He said, he that has ears to hear, let him hear. It's amazing how the word of God can be preached in any church service, any setting, any situation, and have such a different impact upon the people that listen. Some people listen to the word of God and it goes straight over their heads. It never makes contact with the real man, the spirit man, the man on the inside. And somebody sitting right next to him can just soak it up like water 
is soaked up by a sponge. What makes the difference? Well, they're both hearing the same truth. They're both hearing the same preaching. They're, they're both hearing the same word of God being expanded or expounded upon. What makes the difference? Their attention to hearing. He that has ears to hear, let him hear. Everybody's not going to hear. And it doesn't have to do with the quality of the seed or the word that's being preached. It has everything to do with the determination of the individual. So by the wayside, the seed is, so, is sown, but it's not accepted. It's not precious or important to the one that's hearing. So Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. Next, he talks about the stony ground. And these are they likewise, which are sown on stony ground, who when they have heard the word immediately receive it with gladness and have no root in themselves. This word root means moisture. They hear it once, but they don't continue to water the seed. Now, Paul, in writing to the uh, Corinthian church, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, the first part of the third chapter, Paul said, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So the first time you hear the word is the planting of the word. But then that's not all there is to it. If it's going to grow, it doesn't need to be just planted. It needs to be watered and cared for. So the first time you hear the word of God on the subject, that's planting the seed. Every subsequent time you hear the word of God on that subject, you're watering. Now, whose responsibility is it to water? Is it the sower's responsibility? No, it's the ground's responsibility. And remember, the ground is the human heart, the spirit of man. So they have no root in themselves. It literally means the word picture being portrayed here and painted for us is that they hear it once, but they don't take care of it. They don't continue to hear the word. Remember what God told Joshua in Joshua 1.8, that the key to success or the secret to success is. He said, this book of the law, meaning the word of God, shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that's written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. Now, folks, God's no respecter of persons. So the same secret of truth, of prosperity and success that belonged to Joshua belongs to you and me too. Well, what is the speaking of the word then? If the word is not supposed to depart from your mouth, once the word's gone out of your lips, the only way to keep it from departing is to say it again. So God's system, according to what he told Joshua, that brings success and prosperity. God's system is speaking the word continuously. That's what this stony ground does not do. They had no root or no moisture in themselves. And so endure but for a time. Afterward, when affliction or persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they are offended. Now I want you to go back with me to the, to the parable that Jesus uh, spoke let me read to you again verse 5 and 6. It says, And some fell on stony ground where it had not much earth, and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of earth. But it doesn't produce fruit. It's not able to withstand the adversity that comes against. So it can't withstand the scorching sun. As Jesus talked about, it was like the sun scorching it. But notice what it did. 
it looked like it was producing fruit. It looked like it was producing fruit quick. Because it grew up instead of down. Folks, the word of God is supposed to grow deep into our hearts. And not just on the surface. Now most people, looking from the outside, sees people in situations like this stony ground, and they envy them. They say, boy, I wish we could produce fruit like that as quick as they did. But the seed does the most good when it grows down first in order to take root. So, back to Jesus' explanation. These are they likewise which are sown on stony ground, who when they have heard the word immediately receive it with gladness, but, or, or and, or but really, have no root in themselves, and so endure but for a time. Their roots didn't go deep enough to hold them steady. Afterward, when affliction or persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they are offended. The implication is they turn loose of the word once and for all and never do get the results that it was intended to produce. Verse 18, And these are they likewise which are sown among thorns, such as hear the word, and the cares of this world, and the deceitfulness of riches, and the lust of other things entering in, choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. Now this type of ground is a little bit different. This type of ground plants the seed in their heart. They water the seed and it begins to come up. It begins to grow. It looks like it's going to produce fruit. Well how is it that the thorns finally choke it out and keep it from producing fruit? Because the word doesn't become the most important thing in the heart or in the life of that individual. It's just another thing. Remember in Proverbs chapter 4 beginning in verse 20. My son attend unto my words. Folks if you attend unto the word. It's not going to be equal with other things in your life. It's going to be more important. It's going to be your priority. My son attend unto my words. Incline your ear unto my sayings. Let them not depart from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart. For they are life unto those that find them. And health to all their flesh. Proverbs is telling us. Take the word of God. Put it first place in your life. And never let it be moved out of the way. Now what kind of attention or hearing is that? That's somebody that hears the truth of the word that's spoken. And decides that it is the most important thing in this world. Certainly in their lives. Because it is the word of God. And folks. Let me pose a question to you. If God's word is really him speaking to us, what in the world could be more important than that? I know some people think they don't have time to give attention to the word like they know they should. But folks, I got to tell you, we can't afford not to take the time to put the word first. It is the means of success. It is the only way to have eternal success. So what could possibly be more important than God's word? God's word is God speaking to you and to me. We're never going to know God. We're never going to know his blessings. We're never going to know what belongs to us unless we put the word of God first and keep it first place in our lives. Speak his word. 
water it through the words of our mouth. That brings us to verse 20. And these are they which are sown on good ground, such as hear the word and receive it and bring forth fruit, some thirtyfold, some sixty, and some a hundred. What's the difference in the good ground and the others? Well, it, they water it. They water the word that was planted in their heart. That good ground individual takes care of the word. It doesn't let afflictions, persecutions, or the cares of this world choke the word from their lives. They withstand the scorching heat and keep the roots growing deep. Jesus said, if you do that, you'll produce fruit. Different measures of fruit. And again, the different measures of fruit that we produce in our lives is based on the degree to which we attend unto the word. He that has ears to hear, let him hear. Verse 21, and he said unto them, he's still explaining the parable. He wants them to know. He wants the people that are willing to commit themselves to him and his purpose and his plan for their lives, commit themselves to the word. He wants them to know what belongs to them. He wants them to enter into the blessings of God. So he said unto them, is a candle brought to be put under a bushel or under a bed and not to be set on a candlestick? Again, he's talking about putting the word of God first in your life. He's saying if, this is like, if the word of God is like a light to enlighten your path or show you which way to go or show you God's will and plan and purpose for your life, then shouldn't we make it first? Shouldn't we put it first? Shouldn't we display it in a place of prominence? For there is nothing hid which shall not be manifested, neither was anything kept secret, but that it should come abroad. If any man has ears to hear, let him hear. Isn't that the same thing Jesus said at the end of the parable? He that has ears to hear, let him hear. If any man has ears to hear, let him hear. In other words, he's saying keep digging. Keep confessing the word of God. Keep meditating on the word of God so that the revelation of the truth of what you are saying will take root in your heart. He's saying learn the hidden meaning of the parables. Learn the hidden meaning of the truth of God's word. Keep digging. Be more committed to God yes, uh, tomorrow than you are today. Be more committed to God's word tomorrow than you are today. And he said unto them, verse 24, Take heed what you hear. With what measure you meet, it shall be measured to you. And unto you that hear shall more be given. For he that hath, to him shall be given, and he that hath not, from him shall be taken even that which he has. Have and have not what? Ears to hear. To those that don't have ears to hear, they're going to lose everything they have. But to those who do have ears to hear, they'll increase more and more in the knowledge of God and therefore in the blessings that come to pass in their lives. Verse 26, and he said, so is the kingdom of God as if a man should cast seed into the ground. He's going back to the parable. He's saying the secret to the kingdom of God, the mystery of the kingdom of God, the mystery or the secret to, to uh, taking hold of all of God's blessings, all of the things that belong to us in salvation, 
All the things that belong to us through, through the redemptive work of Jesus. It's like planting seed in the ground. He's already told us about how to unsuccessfully operate according to the word. Between the wayside, the stony ground, and the thorny ground, he told us what brings us to that place so that results are not affected or things do not come to pass. So is the kingdom of God as if a man should cast seed into the ground and should sleep and rise night and day and the seed should spring and grow up, he knoweth not how. For the earth bringeth forth fruit of herself, first the blade, then the ear, and after that the full corn in the ear. But when the fruit is brought forth, immediately he puts in the sickle because the harvest is come. Jesus is just simply saying you don't have to know how everything works. Just keep watering the seed. Just keep watering the seed. Your lack of knowledge or the things that you are ignorant of concerning the kingdom of God, concerning how the kingdom of God works. None of that can stop the word from bringing forth if you just keep watering it. None, nothing can stop the word of God if we just attend to it and take care of it. Folks, the seed always have, has enough power to accomplish what you want or what you need. The word of God is never without power. It's not void of power. God said concerning his word, it shall not return unto him void, but it shall accomplish that which he sent it to do and prosper in the thing where he sent it. God's word works. Keep speaking God's word. Keep speaking God's word. Now what did the, the stony ground not do? Remember the stony ground was the one that didn't have any root in itself, any moisture in itself. And so it looked for a time that it was going to be good, a good harvest, but it quickly burned up when the sun came out. Now, what did Jesus identify as the sun scorching it? Well, let me find the verse. Verse 17. They endured, but for a time afterward, when affliction or persecution arose for the word's sake, immediately they were offended. Affliction and persecution. What did they not do? What does the stony ground not do? Well, turn with me over to James chapter 1. James didn't teach in parables. But he gave us some insight into this very thing. And the receiving of blessings by faith. Beginning in verse 2. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience, but let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. The word want there is the word lack. Wanting or lacking nothing. So what did the stony ground not do? They didn't count the tribulations, the persecutions as joy. They didn't recognize, or maybe they recognized, maybe they heard, but they didn't accept that the Christian's position during afflictions, during hard places, during times where people are persecuting you, those are situations where we should count it joy. Now, the reason, very simple reason why we have to count it joy, and that is because it's not real joy. But we're supposed to count it joy. That's what the stony ground won't do. The stony ground 
is robbed because it's refusal to count it joy, as the Bible says. Now, why is it important for us to count it all joy? Because the trying of our faith works patience. The trying of our faith works patience. Folks, your patience level is, is directly related to and can be identified by the degree to which you count trouble joy. Temptations means test trials and afflictions. It means adversity. The degree to which you counted joy in adverse situations or circumstances, that's the degree of patience that you have developed in your life. And the Bible says that we should be followers of those who, faith, who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Faith and patience are necessary ingredients to take hold of everything that Jesus purchased for us. Now here's the part that we really don't like. The only reason patience is important, the only reason that patience is necessary is because things take time to grow. The seed that you speak into your own life, the word of God that you meditate on and then speak to the circumstances that you encounter in life, if those things changed instantly, there would never be a need for patience. And the only reason we have a need for patience is because things are going to take longer than you want them to. That's pretty simple to understand. We want it to be instant. We want everything that we ask, from God, ask for from God to be instantly ours. Well, by faith, they become instantly ours. But it's through patience that enables them to materialize in this physical realm. Count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. The trying of your faith worketh patience. The trying of your faith worketh patience. Now, folks, there are several things that the Bible says about this development of patience. Let me read a couple of them to you. Romans chapter 5, Paul said, therefore being justified by faith. So he's talking to Christians. He's talking to people that have been made righteous. Justified by faith means made righteous. Therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access into this, access by faith, excuse me, into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Now what hope is he talking about that we rejoice in? He's talking about Jesus' return. He says, we rejoice here on this earth, believing and confidently awaiting Jesus' return for the church. Folks, nothing can be better than that. Now, I'm not ready to go yet, and I'm sure you're not either. I want to make the most of my life here in accomplishing God's will for my life. But nothing that we can ever do, even for the Lord, can ever compare to the joy that we're going to feel and experience when Jesus comes back for the church. When Jesus splits the sky and we're caught up in an instant of time in, in the air with him, receive our redeemed bodies, there is nothing on the earth. There is no earthly pleasure. There is no earthly accomplishment or achievement that can have anything even close to that. Nothing can compare to that. 
So he says, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace, wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also. That sounds a lot like what James said. We glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience. So he's talking about how we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God in verse 2. But we should also glory or rejoice in the tribulations knowing that tribulation works patience. Here's the Holy Ghost confirming what James said through Paul. And patience experience and experience hope. And hope makes not ashamed because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given to us. So Paul said we should rejoice in glory and tribulations. It's the same word that James used, test, trial, and affliction. It means trouble or adversity. Let me show you something else Paul said. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 4, he said, But in all things approving ourselves as the ministers of God, in much patience, in afflictions, in necessities, in distresses, in stripes, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in watchings, in fastings, by pureness, by knowledge, by long suffering, by kindness, by the Holy Ghost, by love unfeigned, by the word of truth, by the power of God, by the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left, by honor and dishonor, by evil report and good report, as deceivers and yet true, as unknown and yet well known, as dying and behold we live, as chastened and not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing all things. O ye Corinthians, our mouth is open unto you, and our heart is enlarged. That's quite a list. Paul said, because the trying of our faith worketh patience. These are things, this list of things are things that we should be rejoicing in the middle of, counting it joy in the middle of these things. And folks, if you know anything about Paul's life and the history that the book of Acts paints, along with the letters that he wrote to the church, the letters that he wrote to the churches. This is simply a list of the things that he encountered. It's probably not a complete list because several chapters later he tells them a bigger list. But he's making the same point in both situations, both passages of Scripture. He's saying no matter if any or all of these things come against you like they have me, count it all joy. Rejoice for the privilege that we have to prove God's word in this earth and in our own lives. Second Corinthians chapter 12. Notice the 12th verse. Paul said, Truly the signs of an apostle were wrought among you in all patience, in signs and wonders and mighty deeds. Why did he include patience there? Truly the signs of an apostle were manifested unto you through all patience and signs and wonders and mighty deeds. Because even the miracles and the outward shows of God's power, the outward display of God's power, even that doesn't work as quickly as we want it to. Paul said it didn't work as quickly as he wanted it to. That's what this verse is identifying. Things may not happen. Things may not change as quickly as we would like. And Paul said the signs of an apostle 
took patience to come forth. But when they did, they were signs and wonders and mighty deeds. There was a miracle ministry there. But God doesn't always show up the way that we want him to. He doesn't always show up as quickly as we'd like. And that in and of itself is enough for a lot of people to give up. They've got some wrong notion of how the things of God work or how they think they have to work. They impose some irrelevant deadline on things. And when God doesn't come through, when the word of God doesn't produce results in the way they thought or as quickly as they wanted, that becomes the turning point for them and they turn loose. Paul wrote to the church and said, be not weary in well-doing. Folks, there is no better thing. There is nothing that you could consider more well-doing than fighting the good fight of faith. Than standing in faith no matter what the circumstances look like. Hebrews chapter 6. Starting in verse 10 it says, For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love, which you have showed toward his name, in that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. And we desire that every one of you do show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end. He's saying the same thing that he wrote to the Galatians. Don't give up. Don't stop doing good things. Don't stop believing God. That you be not slothful, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promise. Followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Finally, look with me to Hebrews chapter 10. Verse 35, cast not away therefore your confidence which has great recompense of reward. For you have need of patience. I think I quoted this one earlier. For you have need of patience after you have done the will of God that you might receive the promise. You have need of patience after that you have done the will of God. Well, the will of God in every situation is to believe his word. But it's going to take patience. Peter said something. I think it's 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 6, but I could be wrong on the reference. But Peter said something about the trying of your faith. He didn't relate patience to it because the Holy Ghost was directing him in a different way. What he said was that the trying of your faith is more precious than silver and gold. Now, folks, if that's true, then Paul is counting it joy when he's in the middle of a hard place. When his faith was tried, he recognized the precious nature of standing against adversity and trouble. Peter is identifying, and, and this scripture speaks so to my heart. The trying of your faith is more precious than gold. You know, all the, the biggest battles I've had, when God finally brought his word to reality in our lives, those are the places that are the most precious to me. We ran into some trouble when we were trying to build this building. Plant our roots into our own ground deep. We spent about five years where it was daily bread. All we had was enough to get through the day. 
We didn't know where tomorrow's provision was going to come from. But I learned to believe God for finances through that experience in a much different way than, any, than anything I'd ever experienced before. And when I remember back to specific situations and specific instances, circumstances that we were standing against, the battle was, for, was so intense, for me at least, that it was something that I would not do again to save my life. But by the same token, that trying of my faith became more precious to me than gold. I wouldn't trade the time that I had for anything else in the world. Smith Wigglesworth was an English preacher. And there are documented instances that over 20 people were raised from the dead in his ministry. He was called the apostle of faith. He was somebody that understood and knew the importance of feeding his faith daily. Every time he would eat or after he would eat, he'd pull out his New Testament, little pocket New Testament that he carried with him. And he'd say to anybody, else, anybody that was present, well, we fed the body, now let's feed the spirit. He had as great an understanding of the importance of feeding your faith on the truth of God's word more so than anybody I've ever known or heard of. He'd go into a church and he would declare, teach the word of God for the first couple of days. And usually by the third day, it didn't happen, it didn't work always this way, but it was just the kind of ministry that God had for him. But usually after about three days, he'd start getting miracles of healings that rivaled Jesus, the account that we have of Jesus' healing ministry. Now, there were a couple of occasions that he wrote about. There may have been more that we just don't know. But since we didn't live in his day, we're left to rely on the things that he gave us information about or other people that witnessed it. If the miracles didn't start happening, within a short period of time, he would challenge the people. He would say things like, the first person that comes down here is going to get healed. And invariably, it was always a life or death situation. It never was a headache that showed up first. It was always somebody with some incurable condition or an accident that had occurred that had left them injured in some way or another. And it was said of his meetings when these types of things would, uh, when he would do this, when he would challenge the audience. The people that were there and people that witnessed it talked about the atmosphere being electric. And there was such tension in the room or the auditorium of the church that he was in. Because you've got some people that are afraid. And then you've got him that's believing. And he would challenge the crowd when somebody would come back, come up to the front, and there would be some terrible situation, maybe crippled for many years or maybe even all of their lives, any number of things. And he'd challenge the people and he'd say, you don't think God's not going to honor his word tonight, do you? And the people that were there 
testified that that seemed to alleviate some of the fears and the tension because of the fears of the people. And God would always come through. And once that first miracle hit, they were off to the races. Now, folks, I love hearing those stories. I love relating those stories. I love reading those stories. But let me tell you the other side of it. For seven years, Smith Wigglesworth had kidney stones. And he could not pass them. It took him seven years of believing God. Many times, many times, on the same night after the service where he had had these miracles that would bless and bring victory and deliverance to the people that were in the service. He'd stay up all night in excruciating pain trying to pass these kidney stones. And it went on for seven years. Finally, after the seventh year, he passed the final stone. And he said from that point, he began to get the, the first real night's good night's sleep that he had had during the entirety of that time, the duration of the time where he had the stones. Now, somebody tell me why it would take that long. You can't say he's not a man of faith. He's performing miracles by the name of Jesus in the church services. He spoke some things out that were shocking. The degree or the measure of the confidence and the boldness that he had in God's word. He would shock some people into healing. Or receiving their healing. Maybe that's a better way to say it. But it took him seven years to overcome the adversity that was in his own body. Nobody knew about it at the time. He didn't tell anybody. It wasn't like people run to the doctors nowadays. I'm not sure he even had a doctor regarding that situation. But it took him seven years. Why? Why would his faith work so differently in a church service as opposed to in his own bedroom after the service was over? Folks, I'm not here to throw rocks at anybody. I'm not here to say that anybody did anything wrong. I'm here to show you that the trying of our faith works patience. Wilkesworth said this, Sometime after this situation had alleviated itself, the healing power of God finally, and he was believing God for these things just to pass supernaturally. But he was believing God for these things to go. But it took him seven years. I wonder how we would have handled those seven years. See, folks, the greatest weapon the devil has to try to shake your foundation of faith is delay. Paul wrote these lists to the churches. The Holy Ghost saved us the letters so that we could see the things that would not and could not turn Paul away from doing the will of God in his life. It's a pretty extensive list. This was year after year after year for Paul. City after city after city. 
Prison after prison after prison. Beating after beating after beating. Trouble after trouble after trouble. And Paul said through it all, the word of God's true. In every situation, in every encounter that he had with the devil's operation against him to try to stop his ministry, every one of them he overcame by holding fast to the truth. Paul thanked God in many of the letters that we have record of. Paul thanked God for using him. I don't know many people that would have been willing to hang in there with the things that he experienced. Staying faithful to the end. Could anybody have blamed Wigglesworth for giving up during those seven years? I sure couldn't. Would anybody have blamed Paul or not understood if he gave up with all the affliction and persecution and trouble that he encountered? I wouldn't think anything worse about him if he had. But I believe that we, in these last days of the church, the last days of the church age, I firmly believe that we ought to be a people that cannot be shaken, that refuse to be moved away from the truth. We may not have all the answers, just like we don't have the answer for why it took seven years for Wigglesworth. We may not have all the answers for the situations or the delay or the, the circumstances that we're facing. But whatever the circumstances are, whatever the reason behind it is, we should never, ever, ever give up on God's Word. Heaven and earth will pass away, but God's Word never fails. When I think of God looking down on Paul with an understanding or the knowledge of all the things that he experienced, I can't help but believe that God the Father and Jesus burst a couple of buttons on their, on their garments because of Paul's faithfulness. This was a guy that just would not quit. That's a guy that we need to be like. Amen. Count it all joy. When you fall into diverse temptations, tests, trials, afflictions, trouble, adversity, count it all joy, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But recognize that the trying of your faith is more precious than gold. So stay steady and let patience have her perfect work that you can be restored, that you can be delivered, that you can be healed. And everybody will see the power of God's word in effecting that healing for you. Let's pray. Father, we love you so much. We thank you for your